This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. God. Thanks be to God. Good evening. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, tonight we're going to be going through Psalm 126. But I just want to tell you that uh, I know there's some parents visiting people, and there's some newcomers here tonight. And so we're really uh, glad that you're here with us. And I just want to give you a warning that this is this is a sermon that's really more of a reflection on what it's meant to be a church in the year of COVID-19, and I, I think that Psalm 126 is a helpful way to process the story of how we've lived our life as a church for the last year. So Psalm 126 is short, as you just noticed, and, and for me, it sort of reads like a toast to God. Uh, it marvels at the past, and in shorthand, it makes a little bit of a nod to the present state of Israel, and then it ends by holding together the present realities with this future hopes. And in that tension, that chronological tension, it recognizes this emotional tension that Christians experience, which is present joy in Christ, and then the tears we shed that creation still groans for restoration. And so we're going to go through the passage just in that order, past, present, and future. Uh, We're going to name the first three verses as the past things that we we cheers to. And then verse four is a a recognition of the present. And then verses five and six, mapping a hopeful path from the present to a hopeful future. And I had hoped uh, when I picked this passage a long time ago that uh, my preaching of Psalms would culminate with this Psalm 126 study and that that might coincide with a shift in COVID conditions. Because I thought this would be a wonderful bookend to the talk of exile that we used at the beginning of lockdown last year. So if you remember, we were talking a lot about exile in the newsletters that we were sending out, the little pastoral missives. So I think this psalm is a great way to sum up the psalms in general and also to reflect on our story as a community of God's people in a tough season. Uh, Just like Israel had. Uh, they, They had a really tough season in their captivity, and this psalm is a reflection back on that. So we'll start with the past. Um, last March, the the sense was that if, if we shut things down for two weeks, I mean, it's so comical in hindsight, let's shut things down for two weeks, and that'll flatten the curve. And then when Easter came, we were not gathered, and it became apparent that things were not changing anytime soon, and church was going to be very difficult and different. 
And I don't know if you remember this, but there were articles coming out about frontline workers like medical professionals, grocery store staff, uh, postal workers, public safety professionals like police and firefighters. It, it, it was said they were dealing with pre-traumatic stress, this new idea of, of trauma from anticipating a wave of infections and death. And, uh, and it sounds like there's a lot of stress over, over there too going on. Um, we were, we were given a little reprieve as a, as a church because we started meeting outside pretty quickly. Uh, we started with four small services. If you were around, we started, we were, we had two little services of, of a couple people here. We had two small services in the West Salem neighborhood. And then we pared it down to three as we got better at meeting together in, in the COVID world. And then two, and then we've been at one service, one church for nine months, which is really a miracle. We only missed the Lord's table and each other's presence for a few months, but then the daunting task of outdoor worship loomed. So we had a new challenge. First, it was trying to figure out how to get together in person. Then it was, how do we do outdoor services in winter? I love being outside pretty much all the time. It's, it's just how I love to live. And when the elders and the servant leaders met to discuss what we should do for winter, I, I promised myself I would keep my mouth shut because I knew I would probably not be representative of the wider church. And I was sure that we would have to put pragmatism first and stop meeting outside or have really limited indoor service with like registrations or something like that. And I was afraid of what would happen to our friendships as a church um, if we tried to meet outside in the cold of winter, or if we tried to meet inside but had to cap the number of people who could come. So many friends and families and churches were torn apart in the last year. There were Christians who wanted to stop gathering, not for their own safety, but to, and not to be a source of, uh, but the, the reason, <laughs> it's hard to articulate, but I feel like there were Christians who said they didn't want to gather but it wasn't for themselves. It was because they didn't want to make the world more cynical towards the church, if that makes sense. And there were other Christians who were deeply committed to keeping the Sabbath and worshiping the Lord in person as the body of Christ, meeting at his table. And so both of these groups of Christians had good biblical priorities that butted up against each other. And it felt hard for churches to hold these two biblical commitments together during COVID. And I'll never forget that meeting that night. We were, we were at the Milner's backyard around their fire pit in a circle with our servant leaders and our elders. There are about 15 of us. And one after another, instead of just leaning into their view or a certain pragmatism, brought this cheery, bright-eyed optimism that just said, what can we do? What, what can we do as a church? Why couldn't we have it both ways? People acknowledged that it'd be tough It'd be cold, but why couldn't we have it both ways? Why could we not lean into creativity and hospitality to both make it possible to gather safely while holding fast to our commitment to be Jesus's body incarnate? And it was really like a dream. This meeting was like a dream. And I think our winter worship services were like that too. I never thought in that meeting, there were some people from the deep South, like where, it, where it's real warm in this meeting and I thought there's no way these people are gonna say we should keep meeting all winter 
when freezing rain loomed over a worship service. But they, they were willing. People were talking. We were sitting in this meeting dreaming of children wrapped up in sleeping bags and people bringing their tents. And these things happened. Uh, families brought camping gear. And we had worship services in the rain, but not very often. And Steve Kearns, one of our elders, said, hey, you know what we need to do? Take a nod from those people who have fanatical Christmas light setups where they synchronize their Christmas lights to Christmas songs. It can't be that hard to figure out how they're broadcasting that music when you drive through those neighborhoods. We should do that. So he went on Amazon and he figured out how to get a small radius FM transmitter. So we made that challenge. But then it was, what of daylight savings? We didn't know how hard it would be for people to see the bulletins once it got dark. And what, what of snow and sleep? But we, we lived dreams through that too. Our, our worship all through the winter was really enchanting, was the word that we said at the beginning. We said, we, we think this could be really enchanting. We huddled the band. We, we, we huddled. I just want to give a shout out to the Carter family that it wasn't your car alarm. Because it's spent about 85% on you guys, so. Uh, We've only had it rain twice. And I was really wondering if tonight was going to be the third since I was going to mention this in the service. It rained on us twice since last July. Once was Christmas Eve. And there was one other Sunday and we huddled the band in that little narthex and you all showed up and you stood out here in your umbrellas and some of you sat in your cars and listened to that FM transmitter and some of you watched on Instagram. And Ben and I have talked about this. I still have a hard time giving God credit for holding off the rain for so many Sundays. Why would God do that for our little church in Winston-Salem? I just wanna chalk it up to coincidence. Despite some 40 plus Sundays of clear skies for for this little church to gather. Like I said at the beginning, I know this isn't a close reading of this text, but we have really lived this psalm. And I, I want you to see that. Think of the early Americans, the people who settled this country, who captured and relocated entire people groups from Africa. And think if God had rounded up those people who had been held captive by chattel slavery and gave them a place, a capital, a land of rich rich resources and his clear presence and protection. And I don't know why God has not done that for other nations in history because people groups have dominated other people groups And God has not always rescued them. In fact, most of the time he hasn't. And I don't know why he has done that. But he did do that for Israel. It's a very strange story. And it's absurd. He released these people. He rescued them from captivity in Babylon. And he provided for them. And it was so absurd that this psalm says, we were laughing and and we were dreaming. It's ridiculous. It's, It's sublime. One thing that COVID did to conspire against people was to destroy relationships, to destroy hospitality. People who moved to town, which was some of you who go to church here, some of you who joined the church tonight, 
People who live alone, people who need help with food and clothing cannot just enter into living room streaming church. That was fun for some people, but you need to have resources and friends to find those spaces. We've experienced something sublime here, but we didn't do it. And that's really important. Something very strange and extraordinary happened at this church this year that was very different than almost every, any other church I've ever talked to. But it's not because we were creative. For some reason, there was just a spirit of, of fun inspired by fanatical Christmas lights people that came over our, our elders and our servant leaders that led to a year of enchanting worship services. But that wasn't us. That was the spirit. The rain was held off. Our membership is growing wildly. We don't know why that's happening other than the Holy Spirit. The cold was survived. The sunsets were amazing. And just as importantly, we remained a body. This was an awful year. Now, I know that there are people here who lost a brother or sister to COVID. I'm devastated for my friends in the local restaurant scene. You know, I've been very involved in that, if, if you know me, over my 15 years in Winston. And I've had a number of friends who've, who lost their life's work. Their business is gone. It was not a good year. Many of my friends who are pastors, their churches have splintered or they've withered or they're just tired from trying to hold together communities that are in conflict with one another. One of my friends has two worship services, 9 a.m., masks, 11 a.m., no masks. Those people won't go to church together anymore. Salem has just had this, this blessing after blessing this year, still mixed with death and loneliness. Unless we give credit to ourselves for the good that we've experienced the same at Salem and just blame COVID for the, the bad, Psalm 126 is giving us language to say, when we pray, I'm, I'm pretty sad, God, at this past pain that you've allowed. And I marvel at the mysterious good. It was a good year to watch God at this church. And I will, for the rest of my life, cherish the privilege of watching you all show up, watching you welcome strangers, watching you fight for community, and let the cold and the darkness or being stuck in a car not stop you from bringing your limbs to the body of Christ at Salem Prez. So that's the past year. And now let's talk about the present. Whether it's the past or the present or the future, we as humans are the object of Christianity. We are not the subjects. We're the audience to God's great project. And the project's vision is seen in Genesis 1 in the past and Revelation 21 in the future. The end of Christianity is a restoration of Genesis 1. The telos is the word that philosophers would use. The end of Christianity is not salvation. The, the end of it is not just to save people. That's the means. Salvation through Christ is the means to God's ultimate, which is a people who are his community. 
who commune with him and for whom he provides. And this year, we, the people of Jesus at Salem Prez, got to watch amazing preservation happen. And it's not because of us, it's because of him. It's so rational to credit our community, or at least easy, uh, to say we've humbly worked together to dismiss, and we just dismiss this good weather as serendipity. But these, these outcomes that we've seen are absurd. So we should, in the present, laugh and dream and never forgot, forget what God has done for us. He has done great things for Salem Prez. As I said, Psalm 126 is sort of a toast. It's a, it's a cheers to God for his victory for Israel. And what's implied in the psalm is this whole long story. This psalm is specifically referencing in this toast. It's saying, remember that time you did that, God? Well, well that time was when they were in Babylon. It's, it's specifically talking about what's called the Babylonian captivity. And you can read about it in the book of Daniel, and you can read about the restoration out of that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Israel was captured and Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And that exile continued after Nebuchadnezzar until Cyrus of Persia ruled Babylon and allowed the Jews sort of strangely, unintuitively to return back to Israel. Could you imagine, I mean, think of, think of how many people groups are in our globalized world currently being oppressed by another people group. And imagine that those people just had, had, a, had a ruler one day say, you know what, you can go home and we'll give you the money to go ahead and do that and get that settled. It's absurd, but God did it for Israel. And so Israel feels confident to continue to pray for things to prosper beyond logic. Verse four holds together the gratitude of the past and the longing for a better future. And it teaches us how to pray for the same. We don't need to hedge our prayers with, God, if, if it's your will, then dot, dot, dot. Psalm 126 is saying we can pray. Remember that time you held off the rain for 40 Sundays during a pandemic? Well, then I'm hopeful that you might also repair this broken relationship I have with a friend. It feels uncomfortable in our prayer to reach beyond what's logical or what we know we deserve which is nothing. Israel's choices from Abraham through Moses to the Babylonian captivity in no way indicate that they deserved to ask God to provide. You know, Israel was just messing up time and time again. But they asked God and he, he provides. The Negev, which in some translations is there instead of the word desert, is a desert. So they're essentially saying, we're gonna plant our desires in the ground like seeds for a farm in a desert. And we're gonna hope expectantly that you're gonna make something beautiful out of them like a garden in a desert. And while we can't believe we deserve that, we believe that he's capable of that. So let's close by talking about the future. It is really difficult to hold together a community through tough times. That's obvious. But it's, it's especially difficult to hold together a community in tough times in a country that has lots of churches and an individual liberty sensibility and, and a marketplace mindset. 
because those are all things that are just in the air that make it so we don't want to commit when things are hard. It's hard to hold together our individual emotions and it's even harder to hold together a collective set of feeling people. One way I think churches struggled this year was the absolutism that people had about individual rights and privileges, influencing how they thought churches should respond to COVID. Some people were convinced that churches should close all churches all the time. And those people had good biblical reasons for that. And they even had precedent in church history, which most people don't know. Some people were convinced that churches should stay the course with the status quo. And Psalm 126 teaches us that the role of the people of God is not primarily to police each other with one of those views, but rather to live in that tension alongside each other, laughing with those who are laughing, weeping with those who are weeping. Some people are very scared about masks not being used in public right now. And some people are really struggling with the isolation and constriction that masks impose. And Psalm 126 teaches us that instead of advocating one position, instead of preaching prescriptions, the people of God come alongside each other to meet each other in their need. I talked on the phone with a lot of you during the early lockdown period, which truly did feel like an exile. And a lot of you were having really different experiences. I talked to a few folks who were and are truly terrified of getting the coronavirus. It just grips every thought all day. And they wept with a sense of shame for feeling like they just couldn't go to church. And those people just could not be around people, whether it was inside or outside, masked or unmasked. And I talked to other folks who are just were terrified and are terrified of the loneliness of lockdown, of just being forced to be abstracted from other people. Those aren't philosophies of masking. Those aren't political positions. Those are people. Those are humans, each of whom are weeping and hurting, which makes it hard to do community with them. It's hard to do life with people because people feel things. It'd be easier to make dream communities where we're not interrupted by the needs of the poor or the emotional challenges of those who aren't our friends or the restriction that's based, that's sort of baked into going to church with one another. I've been at this church for 12 years and I have a lot of memories at Salem Prez of fasting to bring home an adopted child trapped in a corrupt government system. I have memories of having to do funerals for children. But at the same time, I have memories of, of witnessing the first new venture. The last time our presbytery started something new was in 2011 when this church was planted. And we got to witness the second one in this like last 15 years, which was RUF at Winston-Salem State. Aaron and I were in a small group years ago with some folks whose house was burglarized right around Christmas. They were violated and, a, and priceless family treasures were taken. But after our small group prayed, 
that priceless family treasure that was stolen was returned. You know, I just feel like if you go to a church for long enough, you are going to see absurd things that God does and really hard things that humans experience. You're just going to laugh with people and you're going to weep with people. We have over 40 people joining this spring. This is not a big church. That's That's crazy. It's by far the most ever. It's on the heels of a global pandemic. It's tempting to approach Christian community as a bunch of people who are just merely going, showing up for the same class or signed up to be a part of the same YMCA community venture. Just individuals doing life, attending the same event. But that's not really what Christianity is if you stay around a church for long enough. Really, it's kind of a wordless venture which is what this psalm is saying. It's not so much about the things that you're saying to one another as much as the feelings you experience of weeping together and laughing together. It's a lot of crying. It's a lot of laughing. It's a lot of fasting. And it's a lot of feasting. Ever since the beginning of lockdown, I've been thinking about Les Mis. It's one of my favorite musicals. And the the first thing I started thinking about is is the song One Day More, because I just thought that is the anthem of COVID. Just one day more, another day. We're, like, we're going to, one more day, and then, the, and then the revolution will come, and COVID will be over. Okay, not today. One day more. But the song after that is really the, the hit of the musical. And if you don't know it, um, Les Mis is about the French Revolution. And I feel like COVID has been our French bourgeoisie and our society are the peasants. This thing is dominating us or has been and it has been squashing our ability to thrive and it's provoking restlessness in us. I bring up Les Mis because I also always connect uh, when I read Psalm 126, it makes me think of that song, Do You Hear the People Sing? I think of Israel as the peasants and the bourgeoisie being the Israelites and the Babylonians. And Psalm 126 is to Israel what the people singing it, Les Mis, are experiencing as the carriages of the bourgeoisie pass through the crowds of the proto-revolution. They're up in their carriages, dressed in their nice clothes, looking down at these people, but they're looking with with fear because they're thinking, I think these people might might survive what we have pushed down on them. And the peasants start to sing, do you hear the people sing? You guys know it? I'm gonna start crying. (laughs) Do you hear the people sing? Singing the song of angry men. It's the music of the people who will not be slaves again. I've been thinking about this for a year. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drum, there's a life about to start. Somebody else sing it. When tomorrow comes. That's Psalm 26. 
I count this past year just such a blessing. To have done church with all of you for nine months in the midst of just the worst year. I have a fuller picture of how helpless I am as a human after living this year. And I also have a stronger sense of where my hope comes from. Come hell or high water, all I need is God and his people assembled by him through his son's death and resurrection. I want to sing to God with his people of his faithfulness. that he sent his son to die to show us his love and to take all of us from isolation despite the conspiracies of the world of the empire, be it Babylon or COVID or the ways of the devil. To take us from isolation and quite literally into communion around a table amongst his people. And so when we sing Psalm 126 as a church, we are saying that beyond the barricade of this world, even a, a global pandemic that we could not at all have predicted, there is a world that we long to see. There is hope that will come tomorrow. Amen. And the way that that is made possible, the way that we know that God is faithful enough to draw us out of that captivity is that he did not, he, he watched Israel just struggle year after year, generation after generation, as they continue to get themselves into trouble, whether it was in Babylon or Egypt, he provided for them and then they made these messes for themselves or they were captured by empires. And the way that he made clear that his promise was that there is a life beyond that barricade is by saying, I, in fact, will show you the fullness of love by coming to this earth in the flesh and dying a brutal death, but then rising again in victory from the grave. And that started on the night that he was betrayed when he took bread and he broke it with his friends. And he said, this is my body broken for you when he took the time, he said,